Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us on this Thanksgiving weekend as we've come together to worship the Lord. If you have your Bible, in just a minute, we'll be in the book of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I should have mentioned my name's Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here, and it truly is our privilege to have you with us. Uh, as you're turning to Exodus 20, one little bit of business I need to speak to. Uh, for members here at Mount Vernon Hill, a lot of you are not. I know that, but uh, a lot of you are. Um, a few weeks ago, you had an opportunity to hear a presentation from our Refocus team talking about uh, potential building plans for the future. Uh, as you're, you're aware, we're just out of space kind of everywhere we turn. And so um, uh, the next step in that process would be for some uh, schematic designs to be drafted and some more money to be spent. There is a ballot in your worship folder this morning for you to vote yes or no. This is not a yes or no to a big millions of dollar project. This is a yes or no to taking the next step in that process. So um, uh, this is uh, just again for members here, please do that. We trust that you're not going to stuff ballots into boxes. So uh, just fill those out for us. Drop them in the offering plate when you leave this morning, please, uh, just so we can uh, move forward that next step. Uh, prayerfully with your blessing. All right, Exodus chapter 20. We have been in a sermon series for quite some time now on the Ten Commandments. Today, we will conclude that sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Next week, we begin Advent. We're going to be in the book of Ruth for four weeks leading up to Christmas. We began Christmas music this morning already, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but uh, we officially begin Advent next week. Uh, but where we are today is we're looking at uh, two commandments combined in this sermon. So we're going to hear the commandment of stealing as well as the commandment of, covet of do not coveting. Um, and the reason, you may remember, is that uh, several weeks back, I got stuck in New York City and missed an airplane. Uh, plane. Well, I didn't miss a plane. I missed my flight uh, there in New York and spent a night. Pastor Adam preached for us that Sunday, and as a result, we sort of got off of our schedule. And so we are combining these two, um, these two commandments into one sermon this morning. And so we'll actually read two verses from Exodus chapter 20 this morning. As we finish out our sermon, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to read two commandments and then we're going to read the concluding verses in this passage of scripture as we finish out our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to ask you to please stand with me in honor of God's word. And let me read to you. Number uh, chapter, ver chapter 20, verse 16 says, You shall not, excuse me, verse 15 says, You shall not steal. And then in verse 17 we read, For you shall not covenant, covet, your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that this word would leap off of these pages and that it would come alive in our hearts. Father God, that we would not only hear it, but that we would receive it and be changed by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It's a holiday season, and I imagine that some of your houses, it's similar to mine. Anybody ever bake a cake in your house and then tell you that you're not allowed to touch it? Y'all ever have that happen? It's like the worst thing ever. Um, here it is. Doesn't matter how much you desire, you're not allowed to have it. Now, what's funny to me is that same cake 
that I wasn't allowed to touch on Wednesday may end up having to have the last bits of it thrown out on like Monday because it's this wild thing. The minute that I'm allowed to have it, I don't always want as much of it except for carrot cake. I want all of that. Um, but we, we sort of have this, this temptation at times to want that which we are not allowed to have. It's, it's said that forbidden fruit often seems the sweetest. In, in Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us that there's something about being told no that causes us to desire something even more. And I think we can all sort of attest to that. Paul is mentioning specifically the commandments of God, and he makes special reference to the commandment, do not covet. And he says in Romans 7, if the command had not been given, I would have never known what coveting was. But the minute that I was told, do not covet, there was something in my sinful nature that rose up and wanted desperately to have everything I wasn't supposed to have. In other words, Paul says the minute that God told me no was the very minute that I desired to rebel against God's commandments, against God's intentions in my life. There are these strange cravings that we have to desire that which we are not supposed to possess. And the things that we cannot have often become the things that we desire the most. Now look, ultimately, the commandment do not steal and the commandment that we'll see do not covet what your neighbor has is, is not primarily about that as much as it is primarily about our willingness to trust in God's providence in our lives. It's about our willingness to trust in God's provision. You see, the reality is we begin to covet and we steal when we begin to believe that we know better than the Lord knows. We begin to believe that we are better off if we take control. And so as a result, we tend to what? We tend to abuse the people around us and abuse God's commands and God's law so that we can have what we want in spite of what God has said. So, you know, what you steal or what you covet is, hey, saying, Lord God, you didn't give me enough. This morning, we're going to consider some steps that we can take to avoid sin in these areas and to trust God more fully. We're going to try our best to be just a little more thankful as we consider how these verses have application in their life. You say, Pastor Craig, couldn't you have been a little bit more creative than just be thankful? Y'all, it's Thanksgiving weekend. That's the best I could come up with, all right? And let's just be totally honest. We need these regular reminders in our lives because there's something in us that sort of eschews, that, that sort of uh, re rebuts against thankfulness. We always want more, don't we? Which leads us to our first point this morning. Number one, be content. Be content. I, I, I kind of wish I had said this, fight to be content. Because there is within us this desire to have more. The commandment, do not covet, is, is actually not quite that simple. It doesn't, God doesn't just say do not covet. He says do not covet what your neighbor has, right? Or, or what is rightfully someone else's. There's, there's not some, necessarily some sinful desire, or some, excuse me, some, some sin to desiring to do more things with your life, or maybe even to have something else. But there is sin when we begin to look at the others around us and go, hey, I'm comparing myself to them and I'm not measuring up. I want what they have. And y'all, we've got to fight against this temptation. We, there, there's just this weird thing that happens within us where we can just become discontented just like that, that fast. Um, 
And, and just personal example, I, I, we, Angel and I have a pretty good house. We like our house. We, we actually, we love our house. It's, it, it, it cares well for our four children and for our family. It's uh, plenty large. We, we invite, or we, we host people pretty regularly. We had about 65 people over, uh, some leaders from our church who were in our house last weekend. And uh, we were able to do that with the house and the porches and, and, and be pretty comfortable. And so we enjoy the ability to do that. But some months back, she and I were at someone else's house and uh, we left, and I told Angela as we drove away, I said, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible how quickly, if we're not careful, we can become discontent with what we have. Like, I look at, at that house and go, man, look at all the space these people have do all these things. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, if I'm not careful, then what am I doing? I'm beginning to desire what somebody else has. I'm beginning to covet. Now, this commandment to covet or against coveting is different than the others. This is, do you know if, if I begin to covet unless I tell you, do you know how you're going to know about it? You're not. The, the commandment against coveting is, is a commandment against this internal thought process in our lives. And unless you tell somebody, God and you are the only ones that are going to know. And so there can be this temptation to go, well, if nobody else knows, then is it really hurting anybody? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, number one, God said don't do it. Uh, number two, the Bible warns us that sin that begins small doesn't stay small. The book of James says that sin full grown leads to death. Coveting can actually lead to stealing. And some of you go, well, Craig, I would never steal from my neighbor. No. You're probably right, but you may very well rob from the Lord so that you can have the things that you desire by refusing to tithe to his church. You may very well rob from your family by not giving them the time with you they deserve because you're too busy chasing all the money you can make so that you could possess all the things that you want to possess. You see, your coveting can lead to stealing, and that stealing might not be a direct uh, fifth theftery, that's not a word at all. A direct thievery, I don't know if that, that's not even the rest of it. It does, it might not directly lead you taking from somebody else, okay? You might not go be a porch pirate and steal it off their porch. You're just, you're just taking away from other people the things that they rightfully deserve or taking from the Lord. So we have to be careful that we obey God's commandments even in things that are, that are seemingly not public sin. But how do we do that? First thing, not only in, in our efforts to be content, we've got to make sure that we take every thought captive. Every single thought captive. I, I typed this wrong. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 5 that, that gives us that, that reminder. Every thought. That's what the Bible teaches us. So, so when I have that initial thought about coveting or desiring something that belongs to somebody else, when's the last time that you had that thought come to mind and you said, whoa, before this goes any further, I'm going to squeeze this thought. I'm going to choke the life out of this sinful thought right? And, and I'm going to put it beside me as opposed to the opportunity to sort of play in the fantasy world that that thought might bring. Well, what if I did have all of those things? What if I had, had what they have? And, and remember, y'all, it's, it's not just coveting possessions. That's what the Bible says, that, that you don't covet. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Right? You don't covet their parents. You don't covet their relationships. We've got to take every thought captive so that my covetous mind doesn't lead to something else. So that my covetous thoughts don't lead me to being dishonest. My covetous thoughts don't lead me to stealing. My covetous thoughts don't lead me perhaps even to dishonoring the Lord. Because I desire something more than I desire God's love. Be content. Because look, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Do you, do you, do y'all, and I'm sure you do because I'm convinced that y'all aren't necessarily better than I am. Uh, I, I think we all have this same temptation. When's the last time, or, or maybe y'all can remember a time when you said, well, if I just have this one other thing, then I'll finally be content. Y'all remember that? I remember I had, had somebody that uh, told me a while back, he said, I remember when I was 25 years old, I had this savings goal. And he said, and I just knew that if I re- reached that amount of money in my savings account, I would finally be content. I said, and were you? He said, no, I hit that, that amount. And then I said, oh my goodness, I'm just poor as I can be. If I can hit that next goal, then I'll finally be content. Y'all, we're never content with the things that we have because look, our heart is bottomless unless we put in something there to stop it. And our treasure begins to be with the things that we identify as being valuable. And so when I identify possessions, especially or identify keeping up with my neighbors as being super valuable, then guess what? As you elevate yourself and your neighbors elevate themselves, you're in a constant competition. You might not say that competition out loud, but it's there. And, and the scary thing in all of this is that those things that your heart is set on, those things are the things that you treasure the most. We call those idols. Right, And so when I begin to covet and I begin to chase after these other things, I run the risk of being an idolater as well. I've got to put to death those, those sinful cravings in my mind and said, find a way to be content with that which God's given to me. Be content to be joyful, to be thankful, to be celebrating what God has done. Be content. The second, second thing is I want you to be a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Now, when I say be a good neighbor... I, I, I mean, just what I said. I mean, be a good neighbor. You know, the, the, the wild thing about some of these commandments, like, like, like the commandment, do not steal. If you take time and work through the stacks of commentaries I have in my office on that commandment, you know what you'll discover? There's a deeper meaning to that, to that commandment. The deeper meaning is do not steal. Like, it really does. It, it's just right there. It's not that hard. Like, like what, what does the commandment mean? It means you shouldn't take things from other people. Right? When, when it, it says, says do not covet what your neighbor has, there's no deeper meaning there. It means do not covet what your neighbor has. And ultimately, so much of this comes down to our responsibility to be a good neighbor. Because good neighbors build healthy societies. And healthy societies are built on the idea that we are trustworthy and that we we care about the other people around us. And so when I'm trying to build up this defense in my life against coveting or against stealing... One of the things that we can do to help us with that, one of the things you can do is to begin practicing generosity. Give generously. It's amazing how when you begin to give, suddenly the things that you get matter just a little bit less. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor Craig, that's really well and good, but if I had all that money to give generously, I wouldn't be coveting. Well, first of all, you probably still would be. But second of all, let me just tell you, even if you don't have all the money in the world to give, it's not only money that you can give. Sometimes that generosity means just making yourself available. Making yourself available to others. Making sure that you're willing to give not only of your treasures, of your money, but of your time and your talents. When's the last time that you just made yourself available to somebody? Being willing to help them. I like to, to talk a lot about how if you live in a neighborhood, one of the ways that you make yourself available is just by spending time in the front yard occasionally. Go for a walk around the neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. Know the people who live around you well enough so that they would know somebody they could call on if they needed a favor. I had a, a neighbor that flagged me down in the front yard a few weeks ago, and he said, I, I need help moving something heavy. I said, well, man, you don't need me to think. You just need me to pick up something that is right up my alley. I love it. Right? And he said, can you help me? Well, of course. As a matter of fact, I'd be happy to volunteer all of my children to help as well if you need them. Just let me know. 
I will give them a job just like that. Didn't cost me a dime. It cost me about 10 minutes, a little bit of sweat equity. But that's one of those ways that we have an opportunity to be a good neighbor. And it helps us to build up a, a, a hedge, sort of, against coveting. Because I'm not worried in those moments about what I'm going to get. I'm just worried about how I'm going to give. How I'm going to serve somebody else. So make sure that as a part of being a good neighbor, you give generously. And then make the daily decision to be trustworthy. Make the daily decision to be trustworthy. Now, again... Yeah, yeah, let, let, let me just clarify. clarify. Most of you are going to say, well, Craig, I'm, I'm a trustworthy guy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to steal from my neighbors, okay? But let's just paint a picture of a society. And some of you have had this experience. If you lived in a neighborhood where your neighbors were so untrustworthy that you couldn't leave your bicycle on the front porch because it wouldn't be there when you got up the next morning. You know, that's, that's not the way anybody really wants to live. We, 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 we lament sort of days gone by where people could leave their house unlocked and nobody would come in and bother anything. For the record, I, I never knew those days. Some of y'all did, and good for y'all. Um, but we, we lament those, those situations where we don't feel like the people around us are trustworthy. Well, I can't always control what everybody else does, but I can make sure that I am a trustworthy person. Right? Because the Bible says that I am not to steal. And that means to steal anything. That means stealing cable from your neighbor. It means stealing power from your neighbor. Stealing water from your neighbor. Stealing time from your neighbor. Stealing from the government. Stealing from your employer. We are to be trustworthy. And it's so important that we make that daily decision. And this is why. Because all of you can attest to what I'm about to say to you. All of you know this is true. You know that an entire life worth of trustworthy decisions can be undone with one untrustworthy action. You can have somebody that's always been trustworthy and they steal from you one time and you will struggle to ever trust them again. Well, listen, that same principle applies to your own life. Right? You want to be the kind of person that your neighbors can trust with their house key to, to, to deliver their mail. You want to be the kind of person that a neighbor can come over and say, I need you to hold on to this $1,000 in cash, right, for me for a couple of days. You want to be that trustworthy. You might want to ask questions about why they need you to hold on to it, right? I mean, drug deal won't matter or something. You don't want to be that trustworthy. But, but we, we, we want to be, okay? And, and we need to be identified as those sorts of people. That's what God's saying. So these last six commandments, if you remember the first four are primarily vertical commandments, right? They have to do with our relationship with the Lord. And the last six have to do with our relationship with our neighbor. Now again, we tend to think about neighbors, the person that lives beside us. Jesus reorients our understanding of neighbor in the New Testament with the story of the Good Samaritans. Basically, everybody's my neighbor, right? And so with this idea of, of the neighbor relationship in the last six, it's about how a healthy functioning, godly society is built. And a healthy, functioning, godly society is built on understandings of mutual trust, and that mutual trust is only possible when the people in that culture, in that society, are actively working to do what? To not steal and to not covet. You, want, you don't want to be around somebody that has eyes for your spouse or has eyes for your possessions. Instead, you want to spend your time with people who desire to celebrate and encourage you in the things that you're trying to do. And you want to be the same kind of person towards them. 
right? So, so we, we want to make sure that we are a good neighbor. And then third this morning, as we think about what it looks like to be thankful, I want to encourage you to trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. Over the last several weeks, in multiple different sermons on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and other places, I've actually talked about anxiety. Um, I'm going to preach in detail on that, I believe, the last Sunday in January. I'm actually looking forward to that sermon, believe it or not. But I've made reference to it because as I've shared with y'all, it's something that I've battled with over the past couple of months, um, maybe more than two. And so I've, I've, I've really been digging into God's Word, and God's been working in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but but at, the, at the risk of beating this horse a little bit longer, I do just want to take a moment and remind you that your anxiety will not add one minute to your life. Your anxiety will not add one minute to your life. If you don't believe me, you just got to go to Matthew chapter 6, right? Jesus says, what are you worried about? All your worries, all your anxiety, listen, it's not helping you at all. Now, we're, we're tempted, we're tempted to cling to that anxiety. And why? Because we do recognize in certain situations in life that there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. We know that we can't fix it, that it's outside of our control. And when we begin to feel helpless, and when you're a control freak, like some of y'all are, I don't know what that's like, um, Okay, I do. But when you're a control freak and things begin to spin out of control and you can't control those things, we tend to look for something we can control. I want to do something. And so for some of you, the thing that you do is you worry. Right? You worry. I can't do anything else, so I'm going to worry. And somehow or other, we begin to believe that that, that anxiety, that worry is beneficial. When Jesus gives us this warning. It's not adding an hour to your life. As a matter of fact, what we know is it's not just that it's not adding any time to your life. It's actually probably stealing time from your life. You're killing yourself with it. And we worry because we don't trust God's provision for our lives. We worry because we don't believe that God's got it all figured out. We, we worry because ultimately we think that we know best. Some of you worry. I, and, and, and y'all, again... For most of my life, I've been able to say that there are five things in the world that I wrestle with worry about, right? My four children and my one wife and everything else I don't have to worry about. Increasingly, that's, that's been a struggle for me, just being transparent with you about all of those challenges in my life. But some of you, you worry about a lot of other things. Some of you worry about who you used to be. That's a real concern. That's a real anxiety issue. For some of you, you allow your past to dictate your future. Some of you are raising your children based on the fears of your sinful past. Some of you are living with fear about what might be discovered about your sinful past. Some of you worry that perhaps one day God's going to change his mind and remember all the things that you did and go, it turns out we can't handle anything like you around here. Of course, there's some of you, and this is just true because you shared it with me, who worry that if the church were to know who you used to be, there's no way that the church would welcome you today. i got great news for you. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, such were some of you, liars, thievers, cheaters. But, 
In Jesus, you've been made something else. And not only have you already been made, he's making you into something even more. Some of you are worried about the past, but you're worried about your past because you don't have confidence in God's provision for the forgiveness in your present and in your future. You don't have confidence and belief that God can actually take what you were and make it into something that is better than you could have ever imagined or dreamed of. Because you don't trust Him as you should. But you should, and this is why, because God knows what you need. And you can trust Him to provide it in abundance. You can trust Him. Christmas is upon us. Little kids at Christmas are phenomenal. They're great for lots of reasons. But one of the great things about a, 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 a young child is they have absolutely no idea or concept of money. And so they create their Christmas list and they bring it to mom and dad. And as a matter of fact, oh, I didn't mention this the first we had We had a little girl, and I think it was last Christmas, not, not one of mine, but one of ours here in the church. And I said, sweetheart, what do you want for Christmas? She said, I want a mountain and a pink pony. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And I said, and baby, I think you deserve it. And if your daddy doesn't get it for you, I'm sorry that he doesn't love you well. Um, I didn't tell her that. But, uh, but I mean, kids, they, they ask for this stuff. Why? Because they don't have a concept of money. They just assume, well, hey, I want it. My daddy's got it. He can get me a mountain. Let's go. When's the last time that you prayed to the Lord that way? When's the last time you prayed to your heavenly father that way? With a knowledge that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. With a reminder that your brother, Jesus, with a reminder that your brother said that he came not only to save you, but to give you an abundant life. When's the last time that you didn't pray a safe prayer to the Lord, you prayed a scary prayer to the Lord? When's the last time you prayed and you asked him for something that was far bigger than you could provide for yourself? That was far greater than you could even imagine possible? Do you know that he's actually able to provide for us in abundance? He's actually able to completely transform and revolutionize your life. Do you know that? He's actually able to take away your addictions. Do you know that? Do you know that he's actually able to take away your sin? Do you know? Do you know that he's actually able to give you purpose and to take away those secret thoughts of suicide that have swam around inside your life? Do you know that? Do you know that he can heal the deep stains of depression? He can do that. Oh, part of the reason that we covet and we steal is because we don't trust that He loves us that much. For some of you, it's really difficult to believe that anyone could love you that much. For some of you, it's especially difficult to believe that a father could love you that much. But I got up this morning and came here today to tell you that that's just exactly how much God loves you. And how desperately He desires 
to heal the broken places in your life and to make you His. This morning, it's a sermon about coveting and stealing. But Jesus said that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but He's come to give us everlasting life. See, here's the wonderful news. That though Satan would seek to rob you of all joy, and though you may even be tempted to believe that joy is not possible, the great news is that Jesus Christ came to meet you right in the middle of the brokenness of your life. You, you, you sat around and you spent too long coveting Dreaming of what others have or what others could have. And, and, and when it's all said and done, what you've really longed for is peace. What you've looked for is for some way to resolve the problems in your marriage. What you've looked for is some way to, to feel loved and protected and cared for and safe. What you've looked for, what you've longed for is, is this belief that you can have eternal purpose in the world. And that somebody somewhere would love you enough to want to have a relationship with you. This morning, this morning, though the entire world may have sought to rob your joy, this morning, though you may have begun to believe that there is no joy possible for you unless you were to steal it from somebody else, this morning, Though you were to begin to believe that everybody else has it figured out and you long for what they have, but all you can figure out how to do is just to be alone and you and broken. This morning, this morning, I want you to know that God loves you right where you are and desires to heal the broken places. As Moses went up the mountain... The Israelites said to him, we, we don't want to get near this God because we are fearful. And the Bible says that Moses went up for them and he became, became God's mouthpiece. That God spoke to Moses and Moses delivered the word to the children of Israel. And they said, well, we'll obey, but just keep us away from this God who scares us. Listen, some of you have been fearful of this God. You've seen him from far off. The fire on the mountain has been terrifying for you. But I want you to know that you can trust him because just as Moses was the mouthpiece, Jesus became even more. He became the perfect sacrifice for your sin and mine so that we might have a relationship. This morning, as we finish up this sermon series on the Ten Commandments, perhaps you've heard a whole lot of do not, you shall not. you heard a lot of no, no, no. But today I want to invite you to not just hear the no's, but to hear the yes that Jesus offers to you. Yes, he loves you right where you are. Yes, he will forgive you. Yes, he will save you. And so I ask you this, this, this morning just this one question. What do you need to trust God with today? What do you need to trust God with? Is it a marriage? Is it your children that you've been praying for? Is it a health concern? Is it a financial concern? 
Do you need to trust God today with your anxiety? With your worry? Some of you need to trust Him with your life today. Should we be thankful? Absolutely. Do we need to be reminded regularly to not covet and not sin? Yes. But your greatest defense against coveting, against stealing, against robbing the joy from others, your greatest defense is to be found in being filled up with the love and the care of Jesus Christ. This morning as we stand and sing in just a moment, I don't know what you need to trust God with, but I trust His Holy Spirit enough to know that for some of you, you already know that the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you of those things that you need to trust Him with. And today can be the day. Just a moment as we sing, I pray that you'd respond. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, we love you and thank you. I thank you for Jesus who is enough. Thank you that he fills us up in our hard places. Pray, Lord God, that you would be with us today. Move among us. Help us to love and honor you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us this morning.